0: An essential Hi. podcast. My name is Aaron Pinkston, uh, and joining me today are the Harry and Marv to my scared little eight-year-old boy, Derek <laughs> Moore, editor at the Sin Essential. Sarah, how are you today?
1: I'm pretty good.
0: Good, and joining us for the first time, making her Sin Essential podcast debut. Hopefully not the last time. Although we'll, I guess we'll see about that. See how this works. <laughs> <laughs> uh is a writer for the Syn Essential, uh Felicia Elliott. Felicia, how's it going? I'm great. How are you? Uh I'm doing good. It's uh it's pretty cold outside.
2: It's very uh,
0: cold. <laughs> so all three of us are in the Chicagoland area. And uh we're getting pretty much I mean, uh, it's kinda hard to say after a year on year, but historical temperature lows right now. But it's yeah, uh, a lot of
1: yesterday, snow. so it's like a winter wonderland outside, and I'm yeah, really into yeah. it.
0: So if you're in a much warmer place, good for you, first. <laughs> uh, you're very lucky. I am definitely not planning on leaving the house at all today, which is actually, that's okay by me uh, on most days. So that's fine. But you may not be able to get in quite the same mood that we are all in for our film this week is of course the 1990 classic holiday film question mark we'll Mm -hmm. get into that later
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, chris columbus's home alone starring macaulay culkin uh, as kevin mcallister the boy who is abandoned by his family who all want to go to france or something and he is left to take on two criminals and fend for himself for days on end it is a really horrific, uh, <laughs> very serious, uh, very traumatizing film, and uh, we're we're gonna have a little survivors uh, counseling session here to mm-hmm. uh, make sure that we're all we're all good with this. No, of course it is a delightful and slapstick and very funny film, a film that I love from my childhood. So let's get into that. Uh, Sarah, why don't we start with you? What is your uh, relationship to Home Alone, the first time, the first twenty times you saw it, uh, as I suspect. And uh, how do you feel about the film rewatching it today?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, well, I'm, I'm almost thirty, and I still watch this every single year. Uh, I couldn't. I cut cable a couple years ago, so it's not on television as reliably for me. So I bought it, and the only way to get it was on Blu-ray, because that's what Amazon had. They didn't have the DVD. It was like half the price to just get the Blu-ray copies of Home Alone 1 and 2. So I was like, yes, this is worth it. This is a good purchase, and I'm very happy about it. Uh, I remember watching it as a little kid. Uh, just very few movies make you want pizza quite as much as this one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And yeah, no, I love this movie. I think it's great.
0: And Felicia?
2: Um, You know, I don't think I ever owned the DVD, but I watched it with my brother a lot when we were kids, when it was on TV, over and over and over again. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. But I also, I always stopped watching at the last, like, half hour, because I just couldn't stand all the injuries. (laughs) So... (laughs) I like the first, you know, hour and fifteen minutes of it, but then I I left the room at the end of
0: it. You're more into feigning uh, gunfire to 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 torment a, a pizza yeah. delivery boy. That that's yes. more your scene.
2: Yeah, I okay. like passive aggression. I guess.
0: Okay, <laughs> that's good. Now I think we're all on the same boat here. Um, this movie came out. I was, I believe, uh, six years old. I uh, may have been five, depending on when it when it was released, but. Uh, I, so I don't really remember watching it right when it first came out, but of course, I remember in the subsequent years whether it it was on h b o uh the 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 method that most children of our age watched films i feel was on h b o uh over and over and over again yeah. so uh yeah i mean this this was a film that uh I came to have a lot of nostalgia for mm-hmm. uh and and I still watch it. I think I've watched it once the last, at least the last three years around this time. So uh, it's it's a film that's near and dear to my heart, and I know uh, to you too as well, which is actually kind of seems to be a dissenting opinion from from a lot of what I've been seeing people writing about and talking about the film uh, online over the last few weeks. It seems like for some reason, Home Alone is being brought up a lot recently uh, more so than than in previous years, which I, I kind of want to start with here. So one of the particular things that people have been discussing is whether this is, in fact, at all a Christmas movie uh, or a holiday movie, I guess we're supposed to say, since we're all liberals here. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> so that that's sort of an interesting thing. I, I mean, I guess I've never really thought of it uh, in particular terms of, at least first thought of it, as as a movie about uh the holidays but obviously a lot of the holiday trademarks are there and i think we'll we'll start with felicia here because uh this week on the on the site you'll you hopefully will ha- would have read her essay which is uh on this very topic whether or not home alone is a christmas or holiday film uh so felicia what what did, what are your thoughts on this uh and uh we can kick off the discussion there
2: so I will defend it as a Christmas movie. I think it's definitely a Christmas movie. It takes place during Christmas, of course. But I think that the weird backlash that we're seeing recently is sort of what I talk about in my article, that there's there's a lot of violence in it. I don't know. I I feel like people are feeling cynical about it and I'm not really, I don't really get it. I do think that it's a weird Christmas movie and that there's a lot of violence in there for a Christmas movie, but I don't think that all Christmas movies have to be saccharine. And I think what makes this one good is that it's not saccharine, but I think it's definitely a Christmas movie.
0: Yeah. It's sort of weird, right? Because I feel like this may just be my feeling, uh, but it seems like all of the people who have defended for years that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Are the same people who are coming out and saying that Home Alone is definitely not a Christmas movie. So it's a little bizarre. Uh, but anyway, Sarah, what do you what do you think about this topic? Because I think uh, from from our from our pre uh, pre roll here, you seem very passionate about this question.
1: Yeah, I just think that it's. Uh... It's gonna sound dismissive because I because it is, uh that it's insane to say it's not a Christmas movie. It's like <laughs> it's set during Christmas. Christmas is the crux of the movie. That is literally yeah. more or less all you really need for a Christmas movie to be a Christmas movie. Like uh and again, yeah, like people are giving diehard all of this room to like be called a Christmas movie, which I think fits the same bill, like You know, it might be ho, ho, ho. Now I have a machine gun, but it's still it's Santa. (laughs) It's a Santa reference. You don't have those in normal movies throughout the year. Um, Yeah. And so like and the violence is just so goofy and like over the top. And like as a little kid, like I was three when this came out none of that registered as anything that could possibly be that bad like I was just like yeah this is funny (laughs) like
2: it's like Tom and Jerry level of violence yeah
1: exactly it's like it's like Tom and Jerry Bugs Bunny like I don't think you should actually drop an anvil or a piano on somebody (laughs) nor did I think it would be appropriate to try and swing a paint can into someone's face like I was only three and I could still get that far in the logic. So I'm just like, I don't think there's any room to be like worried about that sort of thing or say that that's a reason why it's not, you know, worth considering as a Christmas movie. Um, also yeah. It's just so great.
2: And I think if we're talking about Die Hard and Home Alone, I think it would be appropriate to watch Die Hard and other times of the year, but it would be weird to watch Home Alone and
0: other times of the year.
2: I agree with that.
0: Yeah. That's an interesting point. Um, now I'll, I'll say, like I said, in my love for this movie, and when I watch this movie, even though I do watch it at the end of December, typically, I, I really don't. The, the, at least the things that appeal to me and appeal to my ten-year-old self uh, were not the the Christmas spirit, the the struggle for uh, Kevin's mother to get back home and and have all these uh, difficult uh, issues about uh, getting, you know, catching flights or. or Finding someone who who can get her to Chicago from uh, <laughs> wherever she ends up. I I can't remember. It's like in Pennsylvania at some point. Scranton but says, or something like that. Scranton, yeah, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, and it's and it, and it and it's not really the even the sort of the the scenes with Old Man Marley where they're in the church and it's about him, you know, realizing that uh, you know the forgiveness about Old Man Marley's problems with his family so he can reunite re- with his granddaughter and, and sort of these these more, oh. like we're, a word you said, these kind of saccharine ideas and, and mm-hmm. these uh, the, these themes about love and family and things like that. That That's not really what I come to Home Alone for. Um, right. and, and those scenes, I mean, in some ways, they kind of stick out like a sore thumb, but it's, it's sort of the spirit of this kid, Kevin McAllister, who is sort of realizing this this dream that now he can be an independent person and, and doesn't have to deal with his you know his dipshit older brother uh or all of his you know his dweeby cousins and sort of live his own life but then realize that that really isn't all that ideal. There's sort of a in that premise, and they kind of touch on it directly, but there's this sort of fantasy element that's almost there. Um, yeah, absolutely. Of course, he thinks his he's made his family actually disappear, which that sort of element is very tied to a lot of Christmas stories. I mean, Christmas Carol, you have the, sure. you know, the ghosts of of the past, future and present you have. It's a wonderful life where, you know, he's able to see through his life again uh, and see how, um, you know, George George Bailey, how he how he should appreciate the things in his life that he hasn't in, in a and realize that people appreciate him even though though they don't. There is that sort of strain throughout the film.
2: Sure, uh, yeah. And it
0: really hits heavy at the end. But still, I mean, Harry and Marv are my jam. That's why I love this (laughs) film. Because Joe Pesci and uh, Daniel Stern are so amazing in this. Uh, And part of my opening statement, I talk about how those two actors come to this role in, in, in such a perfect way, and their sort of personas work in this film in such a in such a peculiar and perfect way, uh, that it really makes this premise, which is just obviously very silly, of this kid fending off these two career criminals, these people who could potentially be dangerous, and just totally foil them uh, is is really ridiculous. but let's let's actually go back to to the spirit of Christmas. and uh, Sarah, why don't you talk about um, so this this idea that you brought up uh, before we started recording about how sort of children and adults can approach this movie and sort of sympathize with with different characters? I think this is a really interesting idea and something that I definitely found in in my latest watch um, of the movie.
1: Yeah, so I in in rewatching it and trying to think of it a little more critically instead of just like you know wrapping presents while it's on in the background, <laughs> um, I realized that the the script itself, like John Hughes, has this script that actually has all these little tiny like m- moving parts to it, and you don't really think about what they're doing until like you take a step back and realize like oh wow like had this been crafted just slightly differently like this just starts to not work we're like if um and this is something i actually just thought of like if kevin thinks his family just left him like that they just forgot him and that it's not that he said i wish you'd disappear then he wakes up and it seems that they have disappeared uh, then all of a sudden it's it's a lot sadder and maybe it's not as yeah. funny. And they're like, so he's like, okay, that, which is like, and it works too. Like if a little kid was like, I wish you'd go away. And then he's like, well, their cars are still here. Like they can't have gone to the airport. I must have like Christmas magiced them away. Yeah. It's, um, it's something
0: I think every kid has thought at some point yeah. in their lives. Yeah. And, so, you like, know? I think and then that, you always feel bad about it. And, and Kevin right. does too.
1: And so I think that that works great. And then at the same time, it's like, if, if the mom is a little like, if the mom's a little harsher, if she's a little meaner, then you're just like, you're not on her side as much where it's like their relationship just feels like as an adult, you're like, yeah, I would be annoyed with this kid who's like sort of running around, like being a pain in my butt when I have, you know, 10 family members over here and we're trying to get ready to go on this trip. I would also be short with them. Uh, whereas, like, when you're a little kid, you're like, yeah, it sucks when you order the cheese pizza and everybody eats <laughs> it all and you don't get any. Like, it's it's horrible and it's the worst. <laughs> like, so I remember being a little kid and like super identifying with that. Just like, yeah, like that's terrible. But none of that is so terrible that you're just like, oh, his family really is awful. It's all like it manages to stay like sort of right in the center. So like, it doesn't go too far in either direction. So you don't end up being like. I just straight up hate this kid. Like he sucks. Like, I don't care that they left him and you're never like, wow, his mom is like horrible for forgetting him. Like what a monster. Like, you know, they like, they like keep it in a spot where it, it's just like, you can't spiral out too far. I also really love, um, I just love Catherine O'Hara in this movie. She's so great. Yeah. Uh, all of her scenes. She's just, she's just a gem. Yeah.
0: yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm there with you. Um, Particularly this this last time I watched it, I I really did think that Kate McAllister, Kevin's mother, she she's definitely not I mean, it's it would be easy to just sort of write her off as a bad parent. But you also I mean, by the end, you see how much stress she is under and how difficult that is. And how difficult the responsibility is that she has to sort of juggle throughout her life must be that now as i'm growing into an adult i don't have kids but i could imagine how just terrified and difficult those Mm -hmm. two days or whatever that she's trying to get back and then just the one thing that i definitely can more directly relate with her is the like the hassles of working with customer service reps <laughs> uh it's just a nightmare. There there's a section of this movie that is just nightmare fuel of trying to speak with customer service reps for in, in this particular case airlines that that idea that like they cannot help you in any way, but like all you want for them to do is just recognize that you need help (laughs) and they just will never give it to you
1: you gotta you gotta wait for your own personal um gus Polinski to come in that's right (laughs) polka king um who i was delighted because i think i'm i i can't believe i i didn't know this before but that he did improvise all of his lines throughout the movie and they're all so perfect it just makes me so happy I don't know if we want to pivot to this now, but I definitely want to talk about uh, John Candy in this movie for like an hour.
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: Um, Because like one of my one of my favorite scenes with him is like he's he's finally offered to give, you know, he meets he meets Kevin's mom, uh, says he can give her a ride. And then there's this scene riding in the back of this truck and he's trying he's really trying to like empathize with her. And she's like, you've never left your kid at home, have you? And he's like, no, no, I never did. But then he just tells this bizarre story about how he did accidentally leave his kid home alone in a funeral parlor with a corpse for, like, eight hours or something. And he's just like, yeah, you know, and kids are resilient. They bounce back. He started talking again after a while. Yeah, it
2: was, like, after two weeks or something. Yeah,
1: something like that. He's like, yeah, after two weeks, he was talking again. And it was fine. (laughs) Just, like, Catherine O'Hara's face is just, like, horror. She's just like, let's... I regret this conversation. So, Let's not talk
2: about this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And it's just like, it's it's again, another one of those things where it's like, you could be like, that's a terrifying story, but because it's Jolly Jolly John Candy delivering it, who's just like his perfect, like adorable version of himself. You're just like, oh, what a, what a cute tale. I love this. This is great. I don't know if yeah. you, uh, you had thoughts. that he, he stuck out for you if you were all about the Harry and Marv party.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously John Candy is a national treasure, uh, and anytime he shows up in any movie, you kind of have to really just give him give him all of your attention. Absolutely, I I, I probably am not the um, as connected in general to John Candy's career as many people my age or maybe a little bit older. But yeah, I mean, you gotta love the Polka King, uh, even in those. Like I kind of said before, like some of these scenes, they that take you away from the the mischievous things that or the, the trouble that Kevin is getting into, um, they could feel just like total filler, or co- totally could drain all the energy out of the movie. Um, but when you have Catherine O'Hara and you have John Candy, you know it, it's gonna work. So
1: that's actually a really good point. Like I I could absolutely see a different version of this where those scenes are written differently or they give john candy less freedom or they just have somebody that's not as good as improvising as he is and then those scenes just become the boring part of the movie instead of something that's sort of like a delightful breather from whatever you know like kid-fueled tension there might be with what what kevin is dealing with throughout the rest of it
0: yeah and i i mean i think the movie is smart enough too that once you get to that third act centerpiece of Harry and Marv getting into the house and the showdown between them and Kevin, it doesn't cut back. Uh, it doesn't cut out of that uh, out of that scene until it's it, until it's that scene is done, and then uh, you get the conclusions and everything else after, which you know. So it's able to sort of maintain that crazy amount of energy that that final set piece has. Um, it's only like 20 minutes of the movie and it doesn't come in until like 70 or 80 minutes into the movie,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it is so jam packed with all of these booby traps and these gags that it is just like, it's, it's a, it's a Looney Tunes cartoon. I mean, it's, it's just an amazing, uh, amazing sec, uh, sequence. And, um, I mean, it's, it's. Perfect in in most ways in, in my mind. So let's uh, let's transition. Why don't we talk about the the end of of the film and a little bit more about Marv and, and Harry uh, and uh, all of the amazing little moments at the end. I know that there was uh, you guys were talking about there. There's an article that's been circulating around about some of the, the maybe medical uh, or scientific yeah. sort of truths of of what. <laughs> what the, yeah. uh what those last um what those scenes would would actually have? So um, Felicia, you saw that, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. It was a doctor who kind of diagnosed them
0: with what yes. injuries
2: they would actually have, what damage they're doing to their body.
0: <laughs> right. It, it, it's a, It is kind of. I mean, part of the silliness and the fantasy of everything is that. I mean, there there are certainly consequences to the things that Kevin is doing um but i think because you're looking at it through the perspective of a child it yeah. it doesn't have right it it doesn't go as dark as maybe maybe it, it would um but yeah let's talk about uh what are some of your guys' favorite favorite gags in in that last uh sequence what really uh what gets you um, going
1: so one of my uh i think probably one of my favorite parts uh at least this this rewatch uh, is actually a scene that's the whole reason why one of my good friends uh, will not watch this movie ever. <laughs> uh, she is super afraid of spiders, ah. uh, and there is a very, very great. I think it's. I think it's uh, Harry is the one that has the the spider on his chest. Yes, or is it the opposite? I can't remember. No, the, it's, one, it's it's the, Harry. The solution. It ends up on
0: with. Harry's chest. Yes. Yeah.
1: The solution they come up with is to uh, grab one of their crowbars and to try and smash the spider with it. And, well, A, I'm like, well, he like he would die, I feel like. That would, like, crack his ribcage. But also, uh, I love it because the scream that, um, that Harry emits, I really think should be, like, the new Wilhelm scream, and it should just be... <laughs> used in everything for every reason ever because it's so high-pitched and sustained and just like i don't know why i just find it so funny like the sound that he makes just kills me i love it
2: that is the funny part
1: what's your
0: what is your favorite solution
2: when i was a kid i always cracked up at the feathers uh is it harry who gets covered in the feathers
0: uh yes I, i believe it's harry yeah
2: and then Marv comes in and says, "Why are you dressed like a chicken?" Yeah. I, I, when I was a kid, I thought that was a riot. <laughs> like he really believed he dressed up like a chicken. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, Marv isn't the most bright uh, <laughs> in the box in terms of, especially in, in terms of hardened criminals. But I, I think that balance between them is actually pretty interesting. Um, and you kind of see that in the casting of the actors too. Um, so, I mean, Joe Pesci is is mostly known as being a very violent. Uh, thug kind of character in many of the the movies that he's most known for. Of course, of course, this very same year um, he was in Goodfellas and uh, in a role that he won the the Oscar for uh, as possibly the most threatening, violent, dangerous person that has ever been in a movie. Yeah, and and so you see him show up and and it does give the film a little bit of the stakes it needs. It doesn't need so many stakes because of just how over the top it is. But I feel like his presence really gives just enough of the stakes uh, uh, to make it feel like these guys could actually do something to Kevin if they have the the opportunity to. Um, And then you contrast that with Daniel Stern, who's just... He's like a cartoon character. Um, He's, like, really tall, really skinny, has kind of that funny curly hair, uh, and just dumb as a rock. Um, Yeah. But he... He gives so many like his pratfalls falls in this movie and and you can tell when they're when they're using a stunt person um most of the time. But you can tell that he's doing a lot of them himself too, uh, mm-hmm. and he's just I mean totally committed to give uh his body up and and yeah, like uh, Sarah, you said his his some of his screams in this movie are just unbelievable uh and are like my favorite things ever. Uh, when the tar- when the as I call it the Chekhov's tarantula mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, is, is is placed on his face um, before it, it, it before he uh, crowbars uh, his partner that that just scream that he he lets out is one of the most iconic movie moments uh, in my mind. Now people kind of think people kind of think that Macaulay Culkin slapping the. Uh, Mm -hmm. the aftershave on his face that that's sort of one of the indelible sort of moments from this film but it's that that scream from daniel stern that is uh that that's mine
2: i was just reading about that um that that's an actual tarantula on his actual face but he would only allow for one take (laughs) i put a tarantula on my face once but he couldn't he wasn't actually screaming because if he screamed he would scare the spider. Oh, yeah. So, goodness. yeah. So he mimicked the scream and then, you know, recorded the sound later and they put it in.
0: That, that makes t- movie magic. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. To go back to uh, the scene you guys were talking about with the uh, the aftershave scene, the the kind of like iconic moment from the film. Uh, I don't know how old I was when I finally understood what was even happening. Uh, I, <laughs> my my dad had a beard my whole life right. So I didn't well, it know doesn't make what, any sense I didn't know at what all. aftershave what was internet. So I didn't understand yeah. why he was screaming Maybe until like Into my 20s I was just like I don't know why this is I don't know why he's yelling. I don't
2: understand
1: what's going right. on. I,
2: I, I can tell you when I understood, and that was uh, a week ago when I rewatched the movie. And I asked my husband, "Why is he screaming?" And my <laughs> husband was like, "It burns after it burns," and I was finally like, "Oh, okay."
0: Right, because after you shave the, you have little nicks in your skin, and yeah, and, right, and and. It, there's a bu- burning and cooling sensation. Yes. I generally don't use aftershave, so it is know. yes.
1: Felicia and I are <laughs> learning a lot right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, <clears throat> of the unrealistic moments of this film, that's on the that's on the higher side of of the most unrealistic. Uh, just how, <laughs> just how animated that uh, that reaction to the aftershave may be. It's not quite that bad. but... <laughs> <laughs> And they actually, do it twice. I think he happens. Yeah, twice, he does do it twice. He doesn't learn his lesson, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, let's talk about some of the other antics of Macaulay Culkin throughout this film. Which um, there's some really amazing stuff. We we've already mentioned uh, the pizza gag with the pizza delivery guy. Uh, I mean, that the fake film noir that that he's watching is like such a cool little moment. I think, especially. Well, one. I mean, no what kid is going to be watching that movie like have any interest in, in you know this sort of hard boiled uh noir movie I, where did he even find this thing uh, anyway uh, i'm I think guessing the word
2: filthy is in the title yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. It, it must be just one of his you know one of his father's favorite films or something i'm not sure but it, that's actually a, a fun little um obviously we all uh have memorized all of the lines because of because of the gag he he gives with the pizza guy. But um, I think that little touch like that um, really adds a lot to, to the filmmaking. It's, it's a fun little, it's not really a parody, I guess, but uh, the look in the feel of that, just that short little scene that we see him watching. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It, it, it it kind of rings true. Yeah,
1: actually, my my little trivia sheet tells me that it is uh, a bit of a nod because it is called "Angels with Filthy Souls," which is supposed right. to be a play on "Angels with Dirty, Dirty Faces." Right. Have you guys
0: have you seen actually, have you seen I that? Seen any James I have
2: Cagney not.
0: movies? Yeah, it's James, James Cagney. It's really it's really good. Uh, James Cagney gangster movies. It's um, it's about uh, he plays his you know street kind of thug, low level street leader gang leader uh and it's it's about him and i, I think it's pat o'brien is uh, uh a, not a priest but you know, some sort of uh religious leader and they grew up together in the same neighborhood so it's sort of a struggle between the good and the bad and then there's this group of kids that all idolize the james cagney character uh so it, it's kind of about um cagney like realizing that you know he needs to be a uh, sort of a, a a figure for these for these kids to make sure that they go on the right path as they grow and and it has a, a really great ending ending scene where james cagney is is put to death for crimes it's a good movie uh if you enjoy film noir uh it's it's one of the earlier gang- it's not really film noir i guess it's more of a gangster film mm-hmm. um it's from the 1930s i think so it's a little bit pre the actual film noir phase but uh it's good uh, you guys should see it. Check it out.
2: I think the only James Cagney movie I've seen is Yankee Doodle Dandy, which is definitely not a gangster <laughs> <Very different>. movie. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's a little different.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> just
0: a bit. But boy, can he dance!
1: <laughs> that's how he intimidates uh, intimidates people into giving giving up their cash. He dances them into submission. I think that's yeah. I think that's canon. That's film canon.
2: Yeah, yeah that's the premise. Mm-hmm.
1: I would love to talk a little bit about uh, Chris Columbus here, our director. Sure. Because um, I, don't, I, don't I don't think of him as, uh, I don't know, I don't really think of him as much of a director, honestly. <laughs> like, I don't have a lot of thoughts about the direction of the movies that he uh, puts out there into the world. But uh, the thing that I really appreciate is just how good he is at working with kids like yeah. pulling pulling performances out of you know like a 8 year old in Home Alone um, and then in my mind I'm thinking of the first two Harry Potter movies uh, Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets when none of those kids knew what they were doing <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be able to create something that felt like more or less natural to like be able to make kids that young and that inexperienced like comfortable on screen and I really feel like a lot of that comes through uh, in Home Alone especially because like I don't know. I don't know if I can think of another movie uh, super easily where a kid that young carries the kind of the whole film by himself. Like, he's in most of his scenes. He's alone. Like, there aren't other kids to work with. There aren't really other adults to work with half of the time. Or even if yeah, they are, a good it's point. all about his reactions and his lines, and like getting that right. And it's just like a lot of pressure to put on a little kid. And I just feel like he does a great job, and it's clearly yeah, working.
0: he is he is so confident yeah. uh, in the performance. And and I get it's sort of easy to make fun of of the performance in a, for a couple of reasons. Well, one because of kind of how Macaulay Culkin has ended up, mm-hmm. um, yeah. um, but also he's there, there are moments in the movie where he's absolutely like a 10 year old kid or eight year old. I think he's an eight year old kid in the movie. He
2: is eight. Yeah.
0: There's other times in the movie where he, there's no eight year old would act like this. Right. Like some of his interactions with old man Marley and, and, and some other parts of the film. So it's, you know, it's, he's, he does sort of his performance is spoiled a little bit by the precocious kid, you know, character uh that that you know we see a lot in movies about not necessarily about kids but you know things like Jerry McGuire, you know, mm-hmm. kids that are just they're kind of too cute or whatever. They're too a little too precocious. Um did you guys know that Macaulay Culkin was nominated for Golden Globe for Best Actor in a comedy?
2: Uh, <laughs> I did not know that. It's
0: kind of crazy, right? Yeah. Um and I mean I think Hesbury. it's very it's, it's pretty well-deserved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: I do have, I have a 10-year-old brother. Um, I'm watching it again. My brother is also very precocious. And some of the stuff that he says, I'm like, oh, that kind of reminds me of him. So yeah. I think kids like that do exist, but they're they're pretty rare.
0: It's true. But there's something about when that's in a movie. And it's, right. re- you know, you can tell that it's written in a specific right. way by adults. Also, my
2: little brother's not going to go to the grocery store and use coupons and
0: stuff. You know? <laughs> um, back to on Christopher Columbus, Chris Columbus. Sorry, um, getting my <laughs> historical figures mixed up. Uh, some of the, if you're sort of scratching your brain about, you know, what else did Chris Columbus direct? Um, he's mostly worked in family movies, and he's done a lot of a lot of movies that, like Home Alone are a little subversive, uh, a little darker than you might expect for a kid's movie or for a family movie. Uh, His first, his director directorial debut was the great adventures in babysitting, which is a fantastic late eighties sort of, you know, that all that eighties glam. Um, Uh But uh, it's sort of a, uh with a with a female protagonist in, in that one though so it it is a bit different um he did direct the sequel to home alone which we definitely got to talk about a little bit uh, he also did uh Miss Doubtfire, Mrs. Doubtfire, which i know is
2: Didn't he do the Goonies as well?
0: Uh, i think he wrote the he Goonies He
2: wrote he wrote the Goonies.
0: Yeah, he wrote the he wrote the oh, Goonies. Okay. So yeah, i mean a lot of very classic uh late 80s early 90s family films that you know children of our generation the stuff
2: that yeah, yeah shaped our childhood
0: yeah absolutely he also wrote one and of the other
1: best christmas movies uh gremlins
0: there you go <laughs> so yeah i mean you we don't really he doesn't really get his due i think and he's he's of course he's had some definite stinkers in terms of the films he's directed oh, sure. um i mean he directed pixels for god's sake oh, good God. uh <laughs> but uh i think he's i mean we don't really ever think about him when we think about Home Alone. I feel we we think about the writer of the film first and foremost. Uh, of course, um, God, it's the name's escaping John me. Now. Hughes. John Hughes. John Hughes. God, why'd that happen? Uh, you know, we think of this <laughs> as a John Hughes you. movie almost to the point that I think even some people who love the movie don't even realize that John Hughes didn't direct it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely forgot that when I was like looking stuff up. I was like, "Oh, right, but he he just wrote it. He didn't direct this."
0: So we mentioned it. Let's talk a little bit about Home Alone two, um, well, Lost in New York. <laughs> uh, what are your guys' thoughts on uh, on the sequel? Is is it as beloved uh, a classic uh, in your hearts as this original?
2: I have never seen it. Okay, what? So I can't. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> that's an interesting like, thing. I will mail you my
1: copy. You can borrow it. Can <laughs> is it is it, it right that away. good? You got to You uh, got to see our our future president in one of his yeah, cameos. That's right. That's, that's right. right.
0: Yeah. Um. I I'll, I'll spoil a little bit of it for for you, Felicia. It's basically the same movie.
1: Oh, it's it's the <laughs> okay. same movie except uh, old man Marley is Brenda Fricker, and she's uh, really into birds.
0: She's a pigeon lady <laughs> in Central Park, and f- for some reason uh for some reason they all and uh this this kid ends up in New York uh all alone and somehow Harry and Lloyd end up there or Harry and Lloyd Harry and Lloyd uh Harry and Marv uh end up there as well yeah
2: but it but uh, it is Kevin McAllister. it's the same yeah, yep. it's the
0: same kid okay. yep uh wow. I, I i do love oh and and i'll I'll say too that there is is another sequence i i think it might be the same taken from the same movie that he watches. I can't remember exactly. Yeah, but it's like a sequel is, or
1: something like that. It's like the There
0: is another movie. sequence that he fakes someone out because they think that they're listening to, or they're listening to the soundtrack to the movie. Uh, but he does it on like a tape recorder or something. I don't know. It's, But it's basically the same thing. Though I will say I do love the airport sequence in that movie for some reason. I don't think it's like a great sequence, but how he gets lost uh, oh, following I do too. the... Guy with, and who has the same code as his dad. I don't know. There's something about that scene that that I I like. Um, but yeah, I I mean, you know, you can watch Home Alone too. Whatever. It's-
1: I think <laughs> I think there's one super strong reason to watch Home Alone too, and that would be you watch Home Alone 2 and then you need to listen to the episode of another podcast called My Brother, My Brother and Me called Home Alone Castle Doctrine and that is where these three hosts go into their thoughts on home alone 2 which has come forever tainted how i will watch it and it's fantastic <laughs> okay. fantastic because it's just there's a lot <laughs> more holes in why anything really happens in home alone oh, 2 yeah, than there are yeah. in home alone one and so it's just like tim curry's character in home alone 2 makes almost no sense whatsoever like he
0: plays uh the hotel concierge for this ritzy hotel that uh kevin sort of dupes his way into staying at
1: yeah (laughs) it's like he stole his dad's credit card
0: yeah
2: but i you know i think i must have seen it on tv when i was a kid because what you guys are talking about sounds familiar
0: oh yeah i think it's definitely like one of those (laughs) one of those like weird ways your brain works and you see yeah. something as a kid and never think about it again but then you think you hear about something or right. you watch something or like i remember this just hides in, some pocket in your brain yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, any so- other <laughs> strong thoughts about home alone two, sarah
1: oh it's definitely uh home alone one is like a kid's movie and home alone two is a toy commercial like oh. in every, <laughs> like it's a toy commercial to be like yeah. by the what is it called the talk boy something like that the little voice uh, recorder that he's playing with the whole time that I I, I don't wanted remember so bad when I was a little
0: FAO Schwartz plays a pivotal role in the film though as as many New York Christmas mm-hmm. films do but uh, yeah it's uh <laughs> I haven't seen Home Alone 2 in a couple of years. I think I actually I think I actually may have watched it 2 years ago. My wife whenever I watch Home Alone she always wants to watch Home Alone 2 uh, as well <laughs> which I mean I get it's you know there there's there's part of it where they're both kind of the right sort of kind of dumb nostalgic movie that you watched as a kid. But I think the quality of the two films is just, they're so far apart Oh yeah. in terms of (laughs) actually being a good, interesting movie uh, with fun characters and, and you know, something of an original setup and plot. Whereas the second movie is just that, that cynical sequel that, you know, we, we've seen throughout,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, the last 20 so years where it just doesn't need to happen. It just it's basically just designed to make money, um, which is should yeah. say the the first Home Alone Home Alone was a huge success. It was at some point, I think it was the top grossing comedy of all time. Wow. Um, that might not be exactly true, but it's uh, it's, it's something something so. like that. I, uh, uh, I wanted to point out the,
1: the one thing, the one little bit of trivia that I think is probably what messes up Home Alone 2 the most, which is that FAO Schwartz does play a pivotal role, except I actually don't even remember if they call it FAO Schwartz It is like, that is what it is. But I don't remember if they're pretending it's a different store in the movie. Cause yeah. like, I think part of that was that they didn't get permission to film inside the store. Which is why there's this whole thing about like Marv and uh, Harry are going to rob the toy store on Christmas. And like, that's why they're there because they're like, all this money from people buying last minute Christmas presents for kids. Like, it's going to be loaded. But then they don't give up the permission to shoot there. And so they have this script. They're like, well, we got to rewrite it. So they put in this weird contrived thing where like Kevin has to go to like his aunt and uncle's like renovated like condo. Like, they're not home, but like, that's where. The whole action is going to take place, but then it means that, like, instead of the criminals going to rob the toy store and Kevin is there to foil them, they're like just going to an abandoned house to like murder a child, I guess. <laughs> like, yes, like, they have no there is to do a very strange,
0: all. dark, just revenge yeah. <laughs> sort of it's, it's, subplot it's going weird. on. Yeah, Will you I watch you it this week? That.
1: Yes, obviously. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Fleish, I think you have some homework. Uh, okay. And uh, We can supplement this. Maybe you can. Yeah. You can give, yeah. us, give us your. I'm a gonna get right on that. I think it actually
2: might also be streaming on HBO,
0: so I'll I'll look. I I'm 100% certain it probably is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's. Why don't we go ahead and start wrapping up here? Um, any other final thoughts? Any you know final moments you wanted to to mention or discuss or uh, just any final. Um, you know, thoughts on the film in general?
2: I was just thinking, you you uh, mentioned briefly earlier that how much of a fantasy element there is. And I think it's it works, especially, you know, it came out when we were kids and it was appealing to us when we were kids because it was a total kid's fantasy. And I grew up in a really big family. So, like, the idea sometimes of getting rid of all of them and just... <laughs> Doing it all on my own was awesome, and I I have distinct memories of my brother and I watching this movie, and then going upstairs and setting booby traps everywhere. <laughs> That's like my favorite memory of this movie.
0: That is amazing. I think the film really sets up the chaos uh, in the opening scene really well, uh, where you just have all of these indiscriminate kids running around, um, and the parents aren't anywhere to be found.
2: And uh-huh. all adults are totally inept.
0: Every yes. adult in this movie has yeah. no idea what they're doing. I mean, we, we kind of came, I kind of came around to uh, to Catherine O'Hara's character and realizing she's not the worst. Uh, but yeah. Uncle Frank, Oh, terrible.
1: Yeah, no, I feel like that's the whole point of Uncle Frank is to just like remind you when you like see a mom forgetting her kid, you're like, oh, she's the worst. But then they like slide in Uncle Frank and you're like, no, she's fine. Uncle Frank yeah. fucking sucks. <laughs> like, yeah.
2: <laughs> Trying to get his wife to steal the the silverware on the plate. Yeah,
1: and he tells he's like, I forgot my reading glasses. If it makes you feel any better. Yeah, if
2: that helps. <laughs>
0: uh, every once in a while, I look at one of my dogs and say, "Look at what you did, you little jerk." <laughs> and I, I think they totally it. they they buy. It. I think they love it. I think they get it.
1: Oh yeah, they're they big understand. home alone. They fans. feel
0: shame. <laughs> they feel the appropriate amount of shame.
1: Yeah, I I really... I just appreciate, even though as cheesy or as goofy as it might seem, like, how good this movie is at uh, giving you a kid's perspective, even in the, the filmmaking. Like, when... Kevin sees um, Joe Pesci's character for the first time at, dressed as the cop and he gives him that smile as he says Merry Christmas and he sees the gold tooth and his reaction is to sort of stare at him like he's uncomfortable with it. Because I could just see a, like a little kid being like, what's wrong with your mouth? Like, I don't yeah. like it. <laughs> like, uh, whereas like an adult would probably think almost nothing of it You'd just be like, whatever, I don't care. Um, but I like that, like, you have this adult, like, trying to just say Merry Christmas and, like, something about him. He's just like, no, I don't care for this. Yeah. Um, And then, like, how Uh, they filmed the basement scenes, too, as, like, being terrifying. Because as a little kid, I was super afraid of my basement. And I was like, yes, that makes so much
2: sense. It is a monster. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Whose furnace wasn't evil as, as a child?
2: Oh, yeah. I don't know.
1: (laughs) That's a good question,
0: yeah uh all right with that i think uh we'll uh go ahead and ra- and wrap this up uh thanks for listening uh everyone uh Sarah and Felicia thank you for joining uh me on this chilly uh chilly chilly cold day where I'm sure you would rather all be out building snowmen or uh shoveling your sidewalks um salting
1: my sidewalks uh, from my yeah. where I keep my corpses. <laughs>
0: Exactly. <laughs> uh, though, I will say, you know, a shovel does save the day in, That's true. Uh, in Home Alone. Yeah. So don't skirt those responsibilities. <laughs> shovel your sidewalks. You don't know if you're going to, you know, come across two maniacs trying to murder an eight-year-old uh, who, may, who may be uh, in need of your help. Yeah, and so. a
1: quick quick thank you to the Hemmingbirds for the use of our theme song, Half a Second from the album, Half a Second thanks, boys.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so in the the coming weeks we'll work we're, we're gonna take uh, the week after Christmas off. so there won't be any content on our site, but um, that's fine. We have lots of uh, look backs. we're We're pretty much at six months now of uh, writing about great films of all genres and styles and uh, from all different decades. Um, some are great, Some are absolutely. Sin essential, as the the title of the site would suggest. Uh, some might be home alone, some, and that's okay too. Summer home Southland Tales,
1: you know.
0: Summer Southland Tales, which uh, yeah, mileage may vary, and and we won't kick John while he's down. But uh, you know, beside I mean, we an did adventure. forget
1: him, and he's home alone right now. That's why he's not here. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> we should have led with that. That would have been a great intro. Too uh, late. <laughs> anyway. we got some great stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks including a lot of uh best of 2016 content uh we're hoping so be on the lookout for that and uh thank you all for listening happy holidays
1: right and subscribe on itunes